You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Hello, guys, and welcome back to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Podcast. And this is your host, Dr. Alonso Osorio. I'm back here on the show with Dr. Ricardo Correa Marquez. He's joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, and you all know him very well. He's an extremely busy endocrinologist, and he has been kind enough to give me a little bit of his uh, busy personal time to speak about the most recent uh, USMLE announcement on June 1st, published on the USMLE.org website, regarding the need to postpone due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the testing for the USMLE clinical skills for the next 12 to 18 months. So Dr. Ricardo Correa is here with us. I'm super excited because he has plenty of content, like always. He knows so much about all these things because of his dynamic interactions as a, a teacher and educator in medicine. So welcome back, Dr. Correa. Hi, how are you, Dr. Osorio? It's a pleasure to be back. I'm very happy. Hopefully, we can navigate a little bit this, this topic. Uh, there is a lot of uncertainty and we'll continue until we don't have a final report. But. So I'm going to tell you, everybody doesn't know what's going to happen, specifically us, the international medical graduates that are non-U.S. grads like me, like you, like many others out there, they're remarkably concerned because we don't know if we're going to be treated fairly like we did in USMLE Step 1, Pass or Fail. And there is a lot of uncertainty. What are we going to do? Are we going to be interviewing without it? How are we going to test for it? Is this going to be telemedicine? So I don't want to exaggerate, but tell us what's your, your feeling about what's going on right now. Yes. So basically, at this point, it's very difficult to make a statement of what is going to happen because one is that uh, the, the statement from the uh, USMLE that is a combination from, as I mentioned last time, from a National Board Medical Examiner Federation State Medical Boards. So the USMLE statement said that because of the COVID pandemic, they are going to postpone 12 to 18 months the USMLE Step 2 CS. Of course, then there is uh, uncertainty of what is going to happen with international medical graduates that have not taken the exam and they spur the ECFMG, that this is another institution, they need for getting the ECFMG certification to have step one, step two CK, step two CS. And then you get your certification and that's what usually you use for licensing and that's what the programs use to get you into residency that you have that certification. So this happened June 1st and then since that time, many things has been happening behind the scenes. One of the things is the fight for 
non-discrimination against IMGs. So ECPMG, and I know that many people think that ECPMG is the bad cop here, but ECPMG, as much as they can, they always try to help. I'm not part of ECPMG. I have no stock market in the ECPMG. I'm not talking good because I, I have something to do with them. No. So, but they have been very helpful advocating for IMGs during the last years, uh, their existence of the ECPMG, so since the existence of ECPMG. But during the COVID time, they have been one of the main drivers of everything, trying to talk to the Department of State, all of the visa issues that they issue, all of that, they, they have been happening. And of course, this caught them not prepared on what to do, because in a conversation that we have with uh, Dr. Pinsky, that is the CEO and president of the ACPMG, he mentioned that he was not prepared of that activity that USMLE t- took, that was uh, the postponement of step to CS. Neither you and I were ready for this, neither. Our lives have drastically changed, and the way you're practicing medicine right now with telemedicine and seeing patients from home, you know, the, the fact that patients are not coming to the emergency department, and now that the pandemic is speaking up, I don't know, we don't know how long this is going to last, so... This is remarkably surprising for many of us. And, and institutions like this have to take action. Yeah. And as you mentioned, it's, it's different for everybody. If we think about how medicine is changing in the last four months, it's have a jump of probably 10, 20 years of what we'll expect. If you think about how medical education has changed, that my fellows cannot uh, go to physical training. So right now, everything is via Zoom. Everything is telemedicine, everything. So all of the things is happening in medical education, in medicine, plus all of the changes that at last minute it's, are happening because on the future things like the USMLE step to CS. So all of this, these things, it's making the graduate, like the education community making change and trying to see how they can uh, figure out what is happening. Regarding the ECPMG, the last uh, words that we have with uh, Dr. Pinsky was that there will be a pathway during the time that Step 2 CS is not valid or is not happening to get the certification without the Step 2 CS. So that way they will not discriminate among U.S. medical graduates and IMGs because there will be the, the pathway, the same, the, the power to the, the, the increase the, the discrimination. Big problem is that we don't have yet that wording into a letter that say that. That is cooking, but we don't have yet. So still the uncertainty, but for sure the US, the, the ECPMG is looking ways to make that thing happen. So people do not be affected by because they don't have the CS or because they scheduled the CS during these months to have be ready for the match that is the upcoming match and they couldn't do it because everything is closed. So there will be a way and really talking to Dr. Pinsky for a certain amount of time now, I believe that, uh, that he and the organization will find a way to do this and not to discriminate among U.S. medical graduates and international medical graduates. So let's say this. I am a foreign medical grad and I'm preparing myself to hopefully submit my package for interviewing season for this October, September season of 2020 going into 2021. I have a step one uh, with a numeric uh, score. 
have a step two clinical knowledge. And I was supposed to take next week a step two clinical skills. They canceled it on me. They told me we're not going to be testing directly face to face because this is a text that requires to interact with patients that are actors and we're going to be unable to take hands and we cannot gather in a small testing space that looks like a clinic, knocking doors, touching classrooms, and because of the risk of infection with COVID-19. So that's one issue. They decided to potentially refund me the money. And since this is a money saver potentially for me, because I don't have to travel to the five testing sites across the United States, I'm going to be then submitting myself with the SMG to the ERAS, getting interviewed without the test. Do you think as we move along through the fall, the winter, and the spring, and eventually the match day, that people are going to be mandated to go back and take the CS eventually, or they're just going to move along, forget about it for this class of 2020, and eventually just kind of move along and consider to go back into face-to-face interaction, or this is going to be a drastic change in technology that will lead to save money for testers and just make everything based on Zoom or tele-interactions. It was a loaded question, but this is what many people are asking me. What do you think is going to happen? How do you help me alleviate the fears that we have right now as FMDs? Yeah, and and that's a a very good question. And that not only involves IMGs, involves US medical, the medical education community in general. What I mean with that is the AAMC, the LCME, everybody that is involved in this process. So if we take about the first question, like what will happen with the ones that are not taking right now the step to CS, but they are going to go into the residency application. From one standpoint of view, I really believe that the opportunity of applying without the CS will happen, but I really this is over. You will have to do this CS. This is just to be fair with everybody. So if we think that all of us went through this process and this process included CS, of course, we didn't live in the COVID time, but all of us went to the process and to get a certification, we got the one, two, and CS. To make it fair to everybody, this is, is going to happen probably you entered your mature residency, you entered your residency, and whenever the COVID is back or it's over, then you, have, you will have to do the CS okay. uh, as, as a part of, of the process. And I think that that's the fairest thing that everybody can do because after this, they will continue. After the 12 to 18 months, they are not saying that they, the CS will be over. They are saying that they put it on hold for 12 to 18 months because of the are living right now. So after this, they will continue doing CS. There was a very good discussion about this stopping the CS in American Medical Association Medical Student Section. And in 2016, it went to a resolution. The, the American Medical Association went to the FSMB and NBME to try to advocate at the end. The resolution from, from the USMLE was no. The CS need to continue. The CS provide information about patient care. The CS is mandatory for U.S. medical graduates and for international medical graduates and need to be in that five places because they are the ones that are standardized patients and they don't know because the issue was not to not take the CS, but the issue was to take the CS in your medical school. But there was no way to standardize all the medical schools. So the U.S. families say, 
no, we are not going to do that. And they put a resolution, I think, by the end of 2016, 2017. So that, I don't think that it will go back again. So they already make a, res- a resolution in 2018, 2017, and it will go back. There is so many people online, if you go into Google, giving opinions about this, and I'm going to tell you, there are some people that are rebels, that are U.S. grads, that are saying, this test is worthless. This test has a passing rate of 93.5 to 94%, and they say that this test has shown no validity into the quality of becoming a good resident. I can say for a fact that for me, that test was crucial about telling me what is the healthcare in America and what is it like, the patient interaction. Maybe for U.S. grads, they think that it's a cash cow for the USMLE to make money out of them, which I don't see it that way. And we have to remember that we stopped taking CSA for foreign medical graduates in 2004, and the American grads had to start taking that test immediately the May of 2004. So this test is now given to both American grads and foreign medical grads, but the the locals, the American grads are saying, hey, this test is worth nothing. We don't need to take it. It's worth, you know, $1,300. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of my money. We should get rid of it. And you just said they try, they wanted to, but it didn't go through, correct? Correct. So listening to both sides of the story, yes. So I understand that initially the CS was created basically for international medical graduates that they didn't understand the system in the U.S. So they need to have a standardized way to say, hey, you know, this is how you treat patients, this is how you deal in the system, this is how you write notes, all that. But then it was found that it was a little bit discriminatory, that one group of people were taking this exam and another group of people were not taking this exam. So then, as you mentioned, in 2004, the CS has been mandatory for everybody, U.S. medical graduates and international medical graduates, to make it fair. And really, the time that they present the resolution about uh, doing this, they never say that they didn't want to do the CS. The American medical graduates, what they say was that, why we don't do the CS in our medical school? That will decrease the burden in economics burden because of the traveling and all of that, because of the cost of the exam and all of that. And that was their, their proposal. And it was not a not logical proposal. It was fine because the, the American school can provide the CS. Uh, I train right now uh, students to, not to, for the CS, but for something similar, the OSCEs and, and other things that are very similar to CS that we don't have in our countries, but in the U.S. they have. The big problem was the question is, how do, as a organization, USMLE, how do they trust every single university in the U.S. that they are doing exactly the same standardized patient and everything? So in their past, they show there are some studies that the CS has uh, uh, some improvement in patient care. Definitely, it's easier for U.S. medical graduates because this is what I do with them every day, different from us, international medical graduate, that will have system, but it provides you a better way of standardize everything and then uh, have a, a better outcome at the end. Definitely, I agree with what you say. There is no test that not even step one, step two, and we talked about this last time, or CS, or yes. step three, or the board, that will make you a better doctor if you pass it or not. That's definitely. There are qualities 
in the person that sometimes they lack of having test taking skills they get a bad score but they are super physicians and they are taking skills people that are very bad doctors so that's will happen but at least with the cs um, the resolution that time was that it addressed certain amount of thing it was not only english because that was also the complaint that uh, the CS was addressing only English and uh, to see if you speak English, but no, it addressed other kind of things. And every year the CS has been getting a little bit more important in certain things like addressing wellness, like addressing humanism. So other kind of things that in, during, in the past they, they didn't address. So because of what happened in the prior years, my impression is that this is a whole and not an end. Okay. And that's something that I don't think that the USMLE, unless something changed, but I don't think that the USMLE will go back. Another thing that can happen, and this will be with time and multiple meetings, is to see if the CS can be done in an alternative pathway, depending on how the future will look like. We Right now, we don't know how it will look like. We live month by month and see what will happen next month. I remember when all of this started, we say, oh no, it, this by the end of April will be over. And we're June and we're spiking again. Some people like, uh, I'm living in Arizona, we are one of the states that is spiking again. So we don't know what will happen tomorrow. Every, every time we have from one meeting per month of uh, our division, two meetings per week to see what is happening. And then one day the, our share tell us something and then the next day is a different thing because it's progressive. So the same thing is happening in medical education. So I imagine that what they are thinking right now is, okay, 12 to 18 months is fine. Everything will return back to normal in 18 months and we will resume. But they have to be having a plan B, most likely seeing if telemedicine or something can address the same thing because we don't know if in 18 months we are going to be back to normal. I have spoken with a few program directors and they told me that what they're thinking about doing this season is going 100% telemedicine for the interviewing process. What can you say on that? And how do you think a foreign medical grad could prepare to interact better via Zoom or Skype or whatever method they decide to use? Yeah, so definitely this is what is going to happen. The majority of the programs in the season 2020, they are going to go to online interviews. And one of the reasons is that they don't want to have a lot of people at the same time. The second is that traveling is difficult and all that. So things that, for example, at the University of Arizona Internal Medicine Program has been doing for the last three years is doing this, this method. So of doing the, it was using Skype interviews and then phone interviews with, with faculties. In my division in endocrinology, we are going to go full interview. And looking at what the Association of Program Directors of Internal Medicine have put looking at their listserv, majority of institutions will do this. What things that uh, you need to do understand is the process of unconscious bias that we were working through face-to-face -face interviews to decrease it now is different and we don't have a solution on how to decrease it in an in a, in a online interview. What kind of so bias? Uh, you cut out a little bit. What kind of oh, bias? the unconscious bias of the interviewer. Okay. We were working very hard to decrease unconscious bias through training, through standardized questions, many other issues in a face-to-face -face interview. 
we don't have an answer on an online interview how Got it, it will go. Got it. But, but it's important that whenever you have an, an interview online, you take the same consideration of if this interview was face-to-face. And that's the recommendation. If now the jobs is the same thing. If you're applying for a job, you will have an online interview. And you can have an online interview with 10, 12 people uh, yes. because everybody wants to meet you. Everybody wants to have an opinion of you. They, they want to hire you. So my recommendation is take it as serious as you're, you were doing a, a formal prior interview, how it looked like. And the other thing is that try to keep everything as in the past, but the most likely what will happen is that many people will come with standardized questions. So that will decrease the bias of the interviewer. Sometimes and advocating for this is that you have a face-to-face interview, for example, with the program director and the associate program director, but you have a phone call interview where the person cannot see you, where the person do not know about you, but they, the person will ask you questions and will evaluate your answers and that answer will score you. So that's a way of you can balance. If there was some bias from the people that see you because of their color, ethnicity, gender preference, whatever, where the person that is on the phone will not have that bias and then will balance. But uh, really at this point, it's earlier to see how it will look like uh, for fellowship, we are talking about that our fellowship start eras for fellowship opening now August 21. So that will give us a little bit of idea on how we will look like before the residency opens in October. Um, and you're the fellowship director for the endocrinology program at the current hospital where you work, correct? Correct, yes. And, and that's uh, what you're going to be doing, most likely on uh, online uh, cool. video conferences and interviews, correct? full online interviews we're going to do. So we're not going to bring anybody. The things that uh, we're going to start doing is one is a video of the hospitals. So the University of Arizona, Banner Hospital System and the VA, we are going to start like uh, having the videos from them, a videos from the office where they are going to look like, a video from Phoenix area, and then a webpage where you can find all the answers of living, benefits, all of that answers there that is not in the program webpage, but it's just a special webpage for that. So that way you can get a sense of the city, of the program, and then the interview part. But because the environment, we are not prepared. We were never prepared that this will happen this year. So it is a little bit difficult to put this in place, but every program has to find it. So to piggyback into what you just said, Dr. Correa, what I have done professionally to make myself better in podcasting, I'm going to tell you the truth, obviously has been to improve lining, to improve the quality of the microphone, to improve potentially the quality of the camera of my computer. Right now, I haven't done an investment on to upgrade into a faster computer. This computer is probably five years old. The microphone is top-notch. It's a Jetty. I have a fantastic pop filter and... I have created for my uh, YouTube videos a little bit of a background that I'm using here to the left that you might not be able to see, but it's more professional than just kind of showing you all my outfits that are here in my closet. And also I have a set of reflective lights that I bought in Amazon literally for $100. So I'm going to tell you the truth. If you're thinking about saving money on traveling and everything is going to be happening online, this is what you can do. 
reach out to me, tell me what I recommend, but this is the most basic. Get yourself a very nice hanger with a very professional background. Get yourself a very nice microphone and consider to upgrade your internet connection that has a good uploading and downloading quality of connectivity so the phones don't drop. Get yourself a nice video camera or just get yourself an excellent up-to-date computer that allows the interviewer, see the interviewee in high 4K resolution definition. And obviously, as Dr. Correa said, be well-dressed, be well-presented. And, you know, right now the lining is obviously not really good for my face because it's coming from the top, but just kind of make sure that your whole face, your facial expressions are being noticed because this is going to change drastically the way we approach the interviewing process. Hopefully it goes back to the old-fashioned that we were all used to, but I don't know if that's eventually going to happen. Uh, it's hard to say, right? And it's the other thing is that we are looking at a new world. So probably if it goes back to the formal face-to-face -face interview, we are going to have a mix of having a face-to-face -face and another people. If we think about uh, accessibility and if we think about uh, decreasing bias, one way is using online. So if we think about people that have loans of $250,000 or people that they don't have money to travel, and that is the limitation why they cannot go into an interview, this will solve that problem. Of course, it creates an unintended consequences also, but definitely I think that the future will look like more like this, or an hybrid between the past and now, also because right now telemedicine is what is picking up. Mm -hmm. So this will be a, a way... And, and something that you mentioned that is really important, like your background, your microphone, all of that, because it's very important when you have an interview that you don't present with a background that it looks like it is, is, is your house. And it's not just for the interview. If we continue doing what we're doing right now, like all our lectures are going to uh, Zoom. Yeah. So, and I ask all the fellows to open their camera. So, and, and you, you know what? It was just so funny. It's not going to be probably recorded on the podcast. It's not going to be live. It's going to be probably cut out and edited. But I'm talking to Dr. Correa and my, my son just decided to walk on me and ask me to purchase some coins for his Minecraft game and just make sure that when you are sitting down for the interview, it's free of interruptions. Get together with your family. Say, hey, honey, take the kids away. Or if you're by yourself, make sure you're in a quiet place with excellent surroundings that there is no noise or people gardening outside cutting your lawn etc the dog barking you name it all the crazy stuff and you can see all these crazy examples of people doing crazy stuff now on zoom meetings i actually saw one that a person thought that he was muting and turning off the the video and actually a guy was kind of masturbating in the background everybody was like oh my god they couldn't believe the whole situation so just handle this as you said like a, the big deal, because I don't know if how this is going to be drastically changing. The process is going to change. So in summary, Dr. Correa, and based on what you said, we don't have any answers as of yet. Right now we're on hold. As you said, just within your department, you're meeting bi-monthly, twice a month. No, twice a week. Twice a week. Oh, Lord Jesus. Imagine that from meeting a month, you're meeting twice a week. You're reviewing the current statistics of the pandemic. You're reviewing what you're always on the lookout for the bulletins coming from the USMLE and the ECFMG. So not even Dr. Correa that is on top of the education community that has to teach fellows and residents and medical students. He doesn't even know it as of yet what's going to happen. Let's be patient. 
Let's have an open mind and I'm going to keep you updated on what's going to happen. So as of now, this isn't going to be hard for us to understand, but be careful, be mindful, and let's keep our minds open and, and take it one day at a time. Dr. Correa, anything else you want to say today? I just, just want to, to finalize with it. So today is June 11th. So probably this, as the COVID is changing, this can change tomorrow. Correct. This is the information that we have right now. And I agree with you. We have to be calm. The other thing is that we have to be proactive. So if you are having a special problem, please reach out to Dr. Rosario. Dr. Rosario can reach out to me. We can then send messages to different organizations, but be proactive. This is what happened with the visa issue situation and all the upcoming residents this year. Some of them are having issues or they're not. The good thing is that when they contact, I, I transfer it to, to the ECPMG. The, with the AMA, we have talked uh, with the ECPMG and, and, and very good conversations. And now I'm getting multiple emails saying, thank you, uh, we solved the problem. Really, I, the only thing that I helped was just passing the information. I, I didn't help. I, I don't have the power. Many of us don't have the power. Not even the ECPMG have the power because this is the Department of State. So with the same thing with the USMLEs, it's a little bit different. This is more in the medical education arena. So if you think that for some reason uh, there are things that will affect you or will affect your community or the people that you know, please just reach out to us to see what we can do because as humans, we don't think everything that can happen but if more brains comes together, then we can say, hey, you know, this will affect. Up to now, the ECPMG has a proposal that they will supposedly send to a letter that they will allow this. We don't know if this is going to happen, but we have the messaging from the president CEO, Dr. Pinsky, that this will happen. If this is not happening in July, if this is not happening at the beginning of August, just reach out because then we need to make pressure to them to see what is going to happen with the IMG community. What is going to happen with everybody? And this is what the medical students in the U.S. do. So they raise their voice. So we as an IMG, we need to raise our voice. And it's not only the ones that are coming. It's everybody. That's why I'm always happy to come here because Dr. Osorio is one of the few people in the entire IMG community, we represent 25% of the entire healthcare workforce. And only a few people that raise concerns, that teach others. So all of us should be doing that. Because if they hear us, then they will pay more attention. Let's take advantage of that comment to make a call to action to people to join your Facebook page of the American Medical Association section for international medical graduates. How can we be part of your group? Yes. So the AMA, there is a, the American Medical Association, there is a, a just recently launched a Facebook page for international medical graduates. So if you go to AMA IMG section, you will find it. You don't have to be a member of the AMA. You have to be an IMG. So that is a way. If you are in the process of getting the certification and, and, but you're in another country, it will be difficult because they will not consider you as an IMG. So the other way to do it is uh, there's other Facebook page that you can join meanwhile. And then whenever you get your certification that you can join the AMA because uh, at the end, 
even I know that there are people opposed or, or in favor of the AMA. That's the biggest organization that we have in this country. And then there is the only place where we can have like a national voice. For the Hispanic one, I would highly recommend to join the National Hispanic Medical Association. For the, the Indian descendant one, I would really recommend to join the American Association of Physicians of Indian Origin, API. And then if you have a ethnic group, I know that people from Venezuela have a Facebook page from, from Venezuela. I know that people from Pakistan have a group from Pakistan. Join them to the point that that's so important that I can tell you that the Pakistani and uh, American Association of Pakistani Physicians from Pakistan, they are the ones that sent three planes to bring the upcoming residents to the U.S., Wow. So they were the ones that coordinated that. It was not the government. It was not any other organization. It was the regional ethnic group of them. Imagine so, that. People getting together to help their own people. Correct. Correct. Wow. So we need that. And we need that in the Hispanic community. That's another talk. We need more of that in the Hispanic community. But join these groups trying to find people that you know. Join this group because that's the way to express yourself. And in, in medicine in the U.S., you need to raise concern and need to raise your voice. And one of the ways to do it is participating in organized medicine. The same thing, I can put uh, just two minutes, I can put the example of what is happening right now in the U.S. Go ahead, go ahead. With the protest of the healing of uh, Mr. George Floyd, the only way that we can make this institutional ra racism and this uh, chronic racism to stop is that if we as a physician consider that this is a public health problem and we raise our voice, nothing will change if we continue seeing what we're seeing and not saying anything. Uh, so it will change if we raise our voice. And that's why many organizations have been doing that. The same thing we have to do in another thing when we talk about IMGs, we need to get together and we need to raise our voice and be very proactive. I know it takes time from our residency, fellowship, jobs, and all that, but the only way to make change is if you raise your voice and you bring to the table ideas. It's not just complain, but it's a complaint with a solution. And then, then that solution can help. You've been amazing at gathering people together. And I know you have a family, you're busy in ways that I never imagined. He has one of the most extensive resumes that I ever seen in my life, but he does this not for money, out of the love of his heart. And he is a great advocate for us, despite the fact that uh, he is here in the United States. He's advocating for you, the guys that have not even made it yet in America. And I think it's for all us to change what's happening right now and be confident, be confident that, that things are not going to fall apart. I think everybody's going to be okay, so don't hesitate. So this is a motivational message. Dr. Correa is always so open about getting people together. So just follow us, follow me. And, you know, if you have any concerns, just feel free to go to the website of the ECFMG or the USMLE for updates. Obviously, it's really hard for me to keep this content evergreen, meaning like it could be listening in 2025, but it won't happen. This is just with the purpose of getting some reliable information from a residency program director, from a fellowship director on what's the situation like and to just chill out, chill out. Thank you again, Dr. Correa. Thank oh, you, Dr. Sergio, for having me. It's, it's a pleasure always to be here. And, uh, and whenever anyone needs a little bit of advice or, or something that I can help, I'm 
here. You're awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. Thank you, everybody. And just so keep listening. And by the way, y'all were looking forward to hear something about immigration tomorrow at 4 p.m. Friday. I have a fantastic guest from visalaw.com, Mr. Siskin. He's one of the top immigration lawyers for physicians in the United States. And he's coming to the show to speak about J1, H1s, immigration process, clerkships, visas, etc., and much more. And he's going to be fantastic. Like Dr. Correa, you know, we're trying to get the best of the best. And since he's so kind and always willing to help the community, I really appreciate it. And keep listening, guys. We'll keep bringing you more information. Stay in touch. Gracias, Ricardo. Gracias.